Today's scripture reading is from 2 Samuel 22, verses 1 through 4. If you'd like to follow along in our Pew Bibles, this is on page 274. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I'm saved from my enemies. This is the word of the Lord. Happy Father's Day. Um, unpacking 2 Samuel chapter 22, a ton of verses here today, and I, I won't read each verse word by word, but we'll get through it. It's a song of thanksgiving is what it is, and, and um, let's just jump right into it. Uh, something to keep in mind as we are going into it is it's parallel to Psalm 18. So if you read Psalm 18 and this, you're going to notice how parallel they are. Um, Steph just read the first four verses, so I'll, I'll skip that. But when we're looking at this psalm, um, it's, it's a reflective one. It's looking back over the many times that God delivered David from the hand of his enemies, including King Saul. Uh, and this is something to keep in mind while we're reading this chapter, that it's not about David being this really powerful or wise and great king. It's about who God is and that God is powerful, that God is great and that God is wise. And David is giving thanks to God and here he's praising God. And, and in those first four verses, David is just kind of like piling on the praise and it's as if he just can't give enough of it. He's just letting it all out there. And no matter how much he praises God, it's just not quite matching to the glory of God, but he tries and so why does David give such a, a passionate praise to God? It's in verses 5 through 7. For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord, to my God I called. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. And so God delivered David from some really, really perilous times. He's faced death so many times, and at the end of 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 3, David told his friend Jonathan, but truly as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So you put yourself in the mindset of David during this time. He has lived under really great duress for years. And Saul is chasing him from 1 Samuel 18 all the way to chapter 31. And this is just a very, very desperate time for David. It was more than just kind of like losing your car keys or your wallet or your phone or something, right? Like you get distressed. You're like, oh, how am I going to get to work and all these things. But think about the amount of stress he's dealing with here. He's the most wanted man on Saul's hit list. And he is facing death at every turn, every time he's out and about under Saul's reign, his life is threatened. So day after day, facing death from the king, this powerful person who probably has a bounty on him, and yet God 
delivers him over and over. So it's no wonder that David praises God the way that he does. And when David cries out to God, what happened? Verse 8. Then the earth reeled and rocked the foundations of the heavens, trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him, his canopy. Thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire came forth. The Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. God heard David. Heard him and, and he delivered David. And God was angry that David faced so much affliction from his enemies. And God reached down to David in all of his anger and majesty and power. But why all of these words in verses 8 through 16? It's, it's 69 Hebrew words. And in our Bible, there's 141 English words that were just read. Why didn't David just write... God intervened for me. And then be done with it. Why didn't he just write like four words and be done? That's not much of a song, is it? It's not a, it's not a song. And even though God intervened for me is true, it's short, it's sweet, it's not poetic, and it just doesn't quite capture the magnificence of God that, that he's trying to portray to readers of this psalm. David wants to do more than just give facts. My eldest daughter, she wrote me a card for Father's Day. It was really sweet. Um, but she's, she's more like me. She's analytical. It's, it's mostly facts. Right? It's mostly like, thank you for providing for me and like just facts. But then there, there are these things in there that kind of strike a chord with me like, oh wow, that was really sweet. That was more than God, oh, Dad, thanks for providing for me. And she talks a little bit about the struggle she's had with her mental illness and, and all the things she struggled with and how I was there for her and all these sorts of things. And so David's wanting to get across more than just facts. He's wanting to share with us God's anger in his deliverance of David, that he wasn't happy about that, that David wants to give more than just information about what God did. He wants us to see the emotion behind what God does. He wants us to see God, not just what he does. And so he does this through this poetry. He sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of the many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into the broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Again, God rescued David numerous times. And David alludes to when Moses was rescued. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 10, it reads this. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Now that word drew in Hebrew is the word mashah. And mashah only appears only a few times in the entire Bible. It, only, it appears in Exodus 2.10 with Moses being drawn out of the water. 
Psalm 18, verse 16, which is the parallel to 2 Samuel 22 and 2 Samuel 22. It's only in these three spots. Going back to 2 Samuel in, in that verse in 16. He sent on from high, he took me, he drew me out of the many waters. 2 Samuel 22, he drew me out of the many waters. David is alluding back to that Moses episode. And so God drew David out of the many waters, verse 17. God rescued David, verse 18. God was David's support, verse 19. And ultimately, God gave David his freedom, verse 20. He brought me out into a broad place. So figuratively, this is speaking of the freedom from distress. This is speaking of the freedom from anxiety. And we read this in verses 17 through 20, and it's all God that he's the one doing it. And David acknowledges this in verse 18, for they were too mighty for me. So he acknowledges that, that this was all God, and he knew it was all God. And David knew he was this helpless and weak person against all of those people who opposed him. And so why does David praise God? It's in verses 4 through 20. That's why he does and just giving the facts, which are true, they don't help us see who God is. And it doesn't help us feel God's love as much as like poetry does. But then there's still a challenge because if one simply reads this just as poetry, like literature, we still might miss David's adoration for God. And we might understand the words, but still not feel that intensity of, of David's praise because of his deliverance from the, the constant threat of death. So we need to work on getting ourselves to that place. We need to get ourselves to that place of, of praise, and it's, it's partially why pain and suffering are so critical in knowing who God is. It brings us to a place that is impossible to get to with God if you don't experience those things that drive you to those places. See, there's no way to get to the depth of relationship that David had with God without this. And the depth of gratitude to be rescued from God will be missed if we don't realize what we are rescued from. David knew God set him free from his enemies on numerous occasions. And so, looking in the mirror for yourself, do you know what God has delivered you from? Do you know that he saved your life, that you are free in him? I look back to my daughter again. She's had a really rough past couple of years. And yet, her relationship with Christ has never been better. Like she, she's had to drive into that place because she's such, in such a dark place that that's where she had to go. Now, if you find yourself unable to praise like David did in verses 2 through 3, maybe you're missing that genuine delight in what God has done for you. I was really thrilled last night, too, because I hear this music coming out of my 15-year-old's room. And it's like 2 in the morning. I go in there, I'm like, what's going on? And I go, and 
and it gets more clear to me. And she's asleep already, but she's listening to praise music as she's falling asleep and now falling asleep. And I don't, she hasn't gone through the same depths of darkness as my eldest daughter, but, you know, teenagers all go through something. We, we went out for lunch on a dad date yesterday, and I was asking her about boys. She got very uncomfortable. So I didn't push too hard, but maybe, maybe it's that. But you don't realize verses 4 through 20 without going through verses 4 through 20 yourself. I mean, you can read it all you want, but you just don't experience it. It's like swimming or riding a bike. You can read about it all you want, but you're not going to be able to do it until you actually get into the water or get on a bike. Verse 21, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. What? You and I know the same David, right? This was like the most difficult part of the passage for me. I was like, what are you talking about? Your hands are clean. Man, they're so dirty. Your hands are dirty, David. You haven't wickedly departed from God? Are you kidding me? That's why all this stuff is happening in your families because of what you did. You, you didn't turn aside from God's rules and statutes. You were blameless and you kept yourself from guilt. You're righteous according to his cleanness. Are you kidding me, David? No way. Like, did you just conveniently forget 2 Samuel 11, where you had this guy named Uriah killed because you had an adulterous affair with his wife, and so to cover up that she's pregnant with your baby, you had him killed? Did you just forget that? Let's dig a little deeper. Notice how verses 21 and 25 are very, very similar. Verses 21 and 25, they're framing 22 through 24. That's what verses 21 and 25 are doing. And so when you're reading 21 and 25, it says, according to my righteousness, both in 21 and 25, that God deals with David according to David's righteousness. Okay, so then what's your righteousness, David? How in the world are you righteous? Well, verses 22 through 24 explain that. In verse 22, David writes that he has kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. Dads, you're, you're going you're gonna to understand this. Because David is, is not writing that he's perfect. Dan had this hat on that said world's best dad and he took it off. So he's like a humble person. Thank you, Dan. But we're not claiming perfection. David is not claiming perfection. What he's claiming is I'm loyal to God. I'm loyal to God. That, yeah, I, I've sinned. I've made mistakes. But... I haven't committed apostasy. I haven't turned my back against God. And yes, I have weakly departed from God, but I haven't wickedly departed from God. I'm weak. I fell. I stumbled. I, I backslidden. But I'm not wickedly departing from God in that I, I'm turning my back on him. I, I don't want anything to do with him. It's just I, I, I make mistakes. And I'm sure we as dads can relate to this. Anyone can relate to that. 
David wrote in verse 23, for all his rules were before me and from his statutes I did not turn aside. And then verse 24 is the explanation of verse 23. I was blameless before him. Now that word blameless is translated from the Hebrew word tamim. And that Hebrew word means complete. It means whole. It's not about being blameless. It's not about being sinless. It's about being complete. It's about being whole. So David is not writing that he is perfect or that he is sinless. He is writing, I haven't turned my back on God. I'm loyal to him. And he's made me whole. I am complete in him. And so I'm wholehearted toward God. I am loyal to God. I am wholeheartedly committed to God. And this is his attitude. This is his posture. This is his direction. Now in reading the second part of verse 24, I kept myself from guilt. David knows just as much as you and I know what he did. He knows he is sinful. He knows that he has a sinful nature. He knows his weakness. And he is guarding himself from that sinful nature, his weakness. He's fighting against that. So when David writes, according to my righteousness in verse 21 and 25, he's not writing about sinless perfection. He's writing about this direction that he's pointing toward in God, that he has an attitude toward God. His posture is toward God. His life's direction is toward God. You can do all the right things according to the law, but you can still be a pretty rotten person, can't you? You know, a lot of these religious people, they know a lot of the Bible, and they even live according to those things. They don't cheat on their taxes. They're faithful to their spouse. They do all the right things. They don't cut in line or whatever. They do all the right things. They're very pharisaical. Then you can develop this religious pride just following the rules and laws even though you're very obedient to them. Especially when there's no struggle in your life. You've got to dig a little bit deeper. That only suffering can bring you to. That only pain, that only fear can bring you into this affliction where the faithfulness bubbles up and where you can exercise that wholeheartedness towards God because it's those times that it's pulling you away from him that you have to turn back and fight and go for that. And God delights to rescue those people. Those people who are reliant on God, even though they're pulled in these different ways, but they make themselves, I'm, I'm pointed to God, I'm going to be loyal to God, even though in weakness I fall at times, but I'm not going to be wicked. I'm going I'm to turn back and I'm going to face towards God. 26, with the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. God's afflicted people who are faithful and wholehearted to him are the ones God delivers. They are also the ones to experience the provision of God's 
protection and his guidance. Verse 29, for you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness, for by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. And so verses 21 through 31, they show us that those who are faithfully following God and and obeying him and his word are those who experience his deliverance. And those who do not follow won't be rescued. And you can read all about this in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy. The first part of Leviticus 26 is about God's blessing to those who are obedient. And the second part is about God's punishment for those who are disobedient. Same thing in Deuteronomy 28. The first part is about God's blessing to those who are obedient to God. And the second part is about God's curses for those who are disobedient. Is life? Isn't this the world we live in? Why would our expectations be any different if this is the same thing, whether that you're a student or an employee or just doing anything in this world? Isn't this kind of the way things work? If you do things according to our national laws, there's this provision there. You get social services, you get whatever, and if you don't, you get fines, you get thrown in jail. Like, it's the same thing. Why is there any difference? So if, if a person rejects God, rejects his word, why would there be any expectation of deliverance from God? Yet people have this expectation all the time. And back to suffering and pain and fear, this is what they do. They, they point people to God. They help them realign their direction, their posture to God. And those people oftentimes, they just exercise a temporary need for God, but not one where they have this ongoing relationship commitment to God once, because once their hardship or their challenge or or their difficulty passes, then they're right back to what they were doing before. And those people don't want this covenant relationship with God. They just want this genie that appears every so often whenever they're in trouble. Like, oh God, can you get me out of this bind? Oh God, can you, my health, can you, can you help me? God, my, my relationship, can you help me? And then after it's done, then they're right back to what they were doing before. So you may ask, like, why do we continue to experience pain? Why does he allow us to continue to suffer? Why does he continue for fear? Why, why does all this stuff continue? You don't lose a relationship with him. You always have to rely on him. You can't just use him as a genie and every time you go through something like, oh God, come out, God, and deliver me from this thing and then you're back to what you were doing before. David had a covenant relationship with God and he messed up in his weaknesses, but he also did well every once in a while. Look back to 1 Samuel in chapter 24 and chapter 16. He spares Saul's life. He doesn't kill the king when he has an opportunity to. So he's not claiming a sinless perfection. What is David proclaiming? This is what he's claiming. That it really matters how we live our lives in the midst of our suffering, pain, fear, Difficulty. That really matters. 
that all of those afflictions, pain, fears, all that suffering and all the pressures, those aren't excuses to turn away from God to then live wickedly. It is to turn toward God and to posture ourselves towards him even in that weakness. That our calling as people of God is in Psalm chapter 37, verse 34, where it reads this, Wait for the Lord and keep his way. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. Verses 32 through 51 correspond to verses 2 through 20, and the emphasis is not on God's deliverance, but it's on God's sovereignty. That God gives victory to those he has chosen. And you notice that David is pointing to God in the third person or second person through these verses. Starting in verse 32. For who is God but the Lord and who is rock except for God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. I'm going to skip around here some more. He made my feet like the feet of a deer. Verse 35, he trains my hands for war. Verse 36, you have given me the shield of your salvation and your gentleness made me great. Verse 37, you gave me a wide place for my steps under me. Then David switches to the first person. But what David accomplished is clearly because of God in verses 32, 37. And so then he starts mixing it up with I statements and the he, you statements. Starting in verse 38, I pursued my enemy, 39, I consumed them, verse 40, for you equipped me with strength for the battle, you made those who rise against me sick under me, you made my enemies turn their backs to me, they looked, but they were none to say, they cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them, I beat them as the dust of the earth, I crushed them. So David sees that God's kingdom is then not just Israel, it's, it's everywhere, it's everywhere. Verse 44, you delivered me, you kept me. Foreigners came cringing at me as soon as they heard me. They obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out of the enemies. You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the, the violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to the king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. And we look at who David's offspring is, the royal descendant, Jesus. Whom every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. And God keeps his promises like we talked about last week and through 2 Samuel. And it's God who establishes David's kingdom and the kingdom to come. The point of this chapter isn't David. David is pointing to God. David is pointing to God's power, his kingdom. And this is oftentimes lost in the church where people think, that it's the church and our cultural relevance or our activism or our programs that will be the things to, to change the world. But it's God who does that and David is pointing to that in his psalm. He, he runs this kingdom and he's pointing to God. Yes, he uses us and, and we're peppered in there. We have those I statements that we pepper in, but it's, Ultimately, God who establishes the kingdom. 
And it's not through perfect people, broken people, weak people who are loyal to God, who posture themselves, pointing themselves in God's direction with wholeness, with a wholeheartedness, and this attitude towards God. Lord Jesus, so many things to pull us. Last week we we were talking about these giants that showed up after Goliath and how there are more giants to face than just the main one in our life, that it's continual. And here David writes this psalm that all these enemies coming towards him and he's by far not a perfect person and yet, Lord, you use him. And so for those of us who are just really down on ourselves, thinking how can God possibly use me? I am so fallen or I'm so weak or I'm so whatever. And yet you give us an example in David, one who is extremely weak and yet always staying loyal to you, a guy after your own heart. You haven't called us to perfection, Lord. You've called us to obedience, a loyalty to you So would you remind us of who we belong to? It's not this perfection that you seek, that we are righteous in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. You have uh, communion elements. We can take those out now. If not, you can raise your hand and we'll get that over to you. For anyone wanting prayer, needing prayer, Susanna's in the, the right front pew and she'd be honored to pray with you. Mike will be in the left front pew here. He'd love to pray with you as well. Let's take out that wafer symbolizing the broken body of Christ. David, that royal descent, the descendant that God called to be king, and then Jesus being that royal descendant of David who promises to come back for us. Take this in remembrance of him and that promise of his return. Fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ spilled for us, cleansing us from our sins that he sees us in his righteousness. Lord Jesus, thank you for these elements that we do regularly, acknowledging that it is in you that we are saved, that we are free that you have given us a broad place. A place where we can be free of fear and anxiety and dangers and difficulties before us, knowing that you are there providing and delivering. In your name, amen.